Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti. My guest this evening is Sue Murphy, the Executive Director of the Liberty Bank Foundation. Sue, welcome. How are you? Glad to be here, Pete. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Good to see you, too. It's been, it's. I think it's been too long. Yeah, it's been a couple of years anyway. So <laughs> it, it, has. it has been. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Sue, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the Liberty Bank Foundation and exactly what you guys do. Uh, Liberty Bank Foundation has been around since 1997. And uh, what our mission is, is to support people who are of low or moderate income within Liberty Bank service area. And uh, we wanna help those folks climb up the economic ladder. Being a financial services company, uh, it makes sense to us that what we wanna do is help people succeed economically. And we do that in a couple of different ways. We support number one, education that helps people achieve economic success. And that could be anything from uh, early literacy program for little ankle biter kids to uh, as kids get a little bit older into elementary school, we might support tutoring and mentoring programs for them after school programs. As they get into middle and high school, we want to help them expand their horizons a bit, think about their future careers, what they need to do to get there, college exploration, career exploration, youth employment programs. And we also uh, support education for parents as well. So it might be uh, English language literacy, it might be basic literacy, um, you know, adult education, job skills training, or even parent leadership training. So that's our education focus. And we also have another focus on housing and homelessness. And we see that as kind of a spectrum also. So from emergency housing uh, for people who are actually homeless uh, to shelter diversion, uh, keeping people out of shelter by maintaining their housing uh, if people go into shelter, helping them exit quickly into housing in the community, whether that's just a regular apartment or whether it's permanent supportive housing for folks who have more in-depth needs and disabilities. Also working on systems uh, to improve services to the homelessness and coordination for those services. And then thinking about housing itself and expanding the availability of affordable housing throughout the state of Connecticut and helping people get into that housing, uh, doing community education so that towns are willing to create it. And also for folks who are renters, helping them move up and become homeowners. So it's an entire spectrum. So those are the, our two major funding focuses. We give grants in that area to nonprofits all over our service area. Very nice. You guys are a very busy organization. Pete, you're you're breaking up a little bit here in the joys oh, of the internet. That can you repeat no your question? You're a, you guys are a very busy organization. Sorry, still not getting that. No, hold on. All right. Can you hear me now, Sue? All I'm getting is a bunch of clicks. Oh boy, hold on, hold on. Okay, hold on. Let me see. You're getting a bunch of clicks, huh? That's a little better. Okay. Now let's talk about the response to the pandemic that you guys are doing with, with the Liberty Bank Foundation. Yeah. 
You know, we've been really in responsive mode since uh, March, uh, back when this thing was really starting to roll and trying to be very nimble and uh, flexible and look at what's around us and respond to what we're seeing. So we've funded some uh, fairly large grants for food to our major food banks, the Connecticut Food Bank, Food Share, and the Gemma Moran Food Bank down in New London County. We've mm -hmm. also did some funding to the soup kitchens and food pantries, the, the um, more localized ones that have been grantees of ours. Uh, and we knew that they were under a lot of pressure. A lot of these folks have really risen to challenges that they're seeing around them of elderly and disabled people that are shut in that really needed to stay home, that really we didn't want running out to the grocery store to fetch what they needed. And these organizations have really stepped up to the challenge of bringing food to these folks, and they've been doing it for months and months and months on end. So we provided some support to them. Um, we also knew that our homeless shelters throughout the winter were really struggling because obviously a crowded shelter and congregate living is not where you wanted to have people in the middle of a pandemic. So one of the first things our shelters did in the winter was to decompress. They really needed to move people back out into the community so that they wouldn't be living cheek by jowl in a shelter where they could spread the virus very easily. Um, and we also knew that uh, they were placing people with, with state and federal help. Uh, people were being placed in motels uh, to move them out of shelter and staff from the homeless shelters were working in the motels and doing things they'd never done before. I mean, they were having to take people's temperatures, do other health screening. Of course, they needed the PPE, both for mm -hmm. them and for the guests to protect everybody. Um, and they were, you know, they still had to staff their shelters and then they had to staff the motels as well and provide those people with case management and work with them on getting housing in the community. So the demands on those folks were tremendous. Plus, you know, they were at hazard uh, because of the virus, because of all the contact they were having with these different folks. So we got some grants out to them fairly early on in the late spring to say, all right, we know you guys are really stretched to the max and let's get some unrestricted dollars out the door to you to help you out. Um, also did some grants, um, to support the VITA program, the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program statewide. Now, this is a program where people who are of a lower income can get free tax assistance to file their federal taxes uh, via federally trained volunteers. Um, and it's always been a one-on-one -on -one in-person program. And of course, that couldn't continue with the pandemic uh, expanding the way it was. They moved online quite quickly. The problem was that people didn't know. Um, they weren't aware that VITA was still available online. And we wanted these folks to get the tax help that they needed because we wanna make sure that they were getting all the tax credits they were entitled to, that they were gonna get the biggest tax refund they could get because a lot of these folks at the lower end of the income ladder were the people most impacted by the pandemic. A lot of them who had lost jobs uh, restaurants and things that closed down. 
uh, and really needed that, that funding. So we supported a marketing campaign to get the word out that, hey, I know you're used to having VITA in person, now it's online, here's how you access it. So that's another example of a pandemic needs grant that we did. Now, also one of the other cool things that you guys do during the holiday season, let's talk turkey. Talk turkey. We love talking turkey. I know. Our 16th annual Liberty Bank Rotary Club Thanksgiving drive this year. We went into it knowing that, you know, the pandemic was going to present a lot of challenges to normal fundraising. You know, a lot of fundraising that our Rotary partners do is in-person events, golf tournaments, okay. wine tastings, stuff that they couldn't do. Uh, under these pandemic conditions. So we went into it with a little bit of nervousness, but we also went into it knowing that the need was enormous and greater than we'd ever faced before. So we had this year 48 Rotary, local Rotary clubs working with us to raise money between Columbus Day and Thanksgiving Day, along with our 60 branch offices. We set a goal for us to raise 640,000, which would be matched by, we, we thought, $160,000 from the Liberty Bank Foundation for a total of 800,000. And just to give you a sense of, you know, how big that was for us, last mm -hmm. year we raised about 565,000. So, you know, this was kind of a stretch goal. Well, on the Monday before Thanksgiving, when we looked in all the Thanksgiving drive accounts to take the balances and add the matching funds, we discovered that we had raised over a million dollars. Wow, good for you guys. So uh, our Rotary partners we knew were really highly motivated. I mean, we did some online kickoff events to brainstorm fundraising ideas and talk about how we were going to get to our goal. And they were just charged up. I mean, they really were looking around and, you know, Rotarians are very active in the community anyhow. And usually you see them holding events throughout the year, volunteering in the community. And a lot of them, you know, hadn't been able to do that as they're used to doing. And I think there was so much pent up energy on their part that when we turned them loose and said, look, you know, we're going to match 25 cents for every dollar that's raised, get out there, build partnerships with your local nonprofits that provide food, get your churches involved, get your Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, get your town government, get your schools involved, really work the community. And boy, did they come through for us uh, and for the community, really. So over a million dollars went out to all sorts of community organizations that provide food for Thanksgiving. And in many of these communities, there was surplus money raised to keep food banks stocked throughout the winter season. So we're really, really proud of, of our partners and our branches and what they achieved there. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I, know, I know that... It from personal experience, I actually, I actually frequent two branches, the branch where I work, the town that I work in and the town that I live in. And I know in the in years past that they've sold the paper turkeys. I don't, I don't know 
how they pulled that off just because they weren't allowing people in the branches because of by appointment. I know it was, it was a lot tougher this year than it has been in previous years, as I said, because yeah, there was quite a while when our branches were locked down and you could only yeah. get in by appointment. So distributing things inside the branch was just not a real viable method. Um, they did work it through the drive-through, but then again, you know, we don't want lines stacking up too far and, and getting <laughs> right. upset because they have to wait. But they still came through. I mean, people bought those turkey legs. You have to, I guess this pandemic is really proof that you you see the best in people when they're absolutely. in tough times because the generosity of people was absolutely overwhelming this year. Uh, and we're seeing it all over. The Thanksgiving drive was a great example, but you know we're seeing and hearing about it from all of our nonprofits that people are just opening their hearts and opening their wallets and saying, you know, look, we know our neighbors are in trouble, you know, and especially if you yourself are doing okay, uh, you know, there's a real urge to help out and do what you can because the pain is out there and it's and it's obvious for everybody to see. Absolutely, absolutely. Now let's talk about the advocacy advocacy to support systematic response oh, Pete, to the pandemic that needs. Again. Are we got we getting that clicking? How's that? That any uh, better, Sue? A little better. A little bit better. Let's talk about the advocacy to yeah, I'm not support that. systematic response. I'm gonna try again. Let's try it again. Let's talk about advocacy to support systematic response. I'm sorry, I'm not able to make out what you're saying. Can you hear me, Sue? I can now. There we go. Let's talk about the advocacy to support systematic response. Sure. Um, we, uh, as a, one of the things that you can do as a foundation, and everybody knows that foundations mm -hmm. make grants, right? That's kind of the bread and butter of what we do. We give money to nonprofits who are doing right. programming within our, within our focus areas. Um, but We've always prided ourselves at Liberty on going a step further and really getting hands-on to help nonprofits do their jobs. One of the things that we do is act as a convener and bring together not only the nonprofit community, but local government, state government, um, businesses, faith communities uh, to work on community problems. And during this pandemic, it really has been helpful you know, for us to kind of keep an eye on what's happening at the government level, because a lot of the money, you know, the relief money coming through is coming from the federal government through the state government and understanding what's going on in the community and being able to communicate to people and government through various avenues of, you know, what we're seeing out here as funders uh, and what we're seeing that's working and how to, you um, how to deploy that government funding in ways that are really gonna help is part of what we do. Another thing that we've done, and we do this on an ongoing basis, but it's gotten stepped up quite a bit during the pandemic, 
uh, is to convene nonprofits in various regions. We have groups in New London area, in the Meriden area, in the Wyndham area that we help to convene and basically uh, curate. So they meet periodically and we might bring a speaker in on a topic like it might be eviction prevention, uh, which is a big concern right now. Uh, it might be food insecurity, another major concern. And all of these groups have kind of stepped up their frequency of meeting. I know that I pulled them together in, in New London back in April. And I said to them at the end of the meeting, you know, we just kind of did a briefing where we had different areas like food, housing, um, domestic violence, uh, education, different people reporting out and saying what they were seeing, what they were struggling with, where there were resources. And at the end of two hours of this, uh, I said to them, all right, usually we meet every other month. When do you guys want to get together? They said, we want to meet every two weeks because things are happening too fast. We need to stay connected with one another. We need to be able to coordinate services and work together because you know the, the need is so huge out there. We've got to be in sync with one another and we need to be constantly communicating. So we've been supporting that process uh, you know, since April of pulling these groups together, helping to you know, set up speakers who will help to educate them on what's happening at the state level, uh, how they can plug into resources, uh, you know, how the state is reacting to various things and what kind of funding is flowing in and how it needs to be deployed. And, you know, we've tried to be kind of a, a connector for folks. And that really has been a key role for us throughout all of this. Okay. So now let's talk a little bit about the aspect of the response to social justice, the social justice movement. Yeah, you know, this has been something where, you know, ever since George Floyd, I think everybody kind of woke up and said, we have to do something about racism in the United States and we need to bring it home here to Connecticut and do what we can. Uh, you know, it's not always easily evident as to what you can do, but we've been working on it. We've been talking to a lot of people in the group that we curate in Meriden that I talked about just a minute ago, we started having a conversation about racial justice and what does that look like in Meriden and what are the issues that people are tangling with? Um, what a nonprofit see as what they can do. We've had several of these conversations and it was interesting because the foundation made a grant to an organization called the National Conference for Community and Justice. And they are essentially an, an anti-racism, anti-bias organization, and they do a lot of education and advocacy um, to help people understand bias and how to, how to go about promoting uh, better relations between not only people of different races, but you know, looking at all kinds of diversity within a community and making sure communities are welcoming and inclusive. Um, we had awarded a grant to them and I was talking with them about, you know, what are the different possibilities of, of activities that we could support with this grant? We knew we wanted something related to their social justice work. 
And I started talking about Meriden and saying, you know, we've been having this conversation on racial equity and racial justice. What can we do? The city has already started doing some work, you know, with their city council and their police. Um, and it feels like the right time to really engage the community in a conversation. They said, we would love to come to Meriden and help facilitate this work. So we have a planning group um, from our Meriden Community Provider Network that's going to be meeting with them later this month to kind of map out a series of activities for the year to bring the Meriden community together and talk about, you know, how do we combat racial bias in Meriden? How do we make the city a more welcoming, more inclusive place for the very diverse population that lives there? and people who might be contemplating living there or opening a business there. So that's a, a kind of an example of how, you know, all the stars kind of aligned with work that we were doing on the ground and a grant that we were making uh, to really lend some support to an effort to achieve racial justice within one community. And, you know, we are looking at other grant opportunities uh, with the Jewish Federation for Greater Hartford and helping to foster some community conversations there. And, uh, you know, looking at others, we now have a grant cycle open where we'll be, we are encouraging people to come to us with grants related to our education and housing priorities, but with a, a COVID related focus um, to address pandemic related needs and also grants that address um, the need to promote racial justice. So that is something that we're looking at very closely. We're thinking about as an organization and exploring ways that we can leverage our resources to support. Now, as far as 2020 goes, what is the, what's that look like as far as nonprofits go, as far as what's going on? You know, Everybody at the start of a, a crisis like this, uh, the intelligentsia that studies the nonprofit community starts to mumble about, well, there will be fewer nonprofits by the time all this is over. There will be mergers. There will be alliances. The whole nonprofit sector is going to look different. My viewpoint is that from my experience, Nonprofits are almost infinitely flexible and creative. They mm -hmm. have stretched themselves to the max to meet the moment that's in front of them. Uh, I am inspired and in awe of their creativity, their determination to meet whatever needs they see in front of themselves no matter if it means they're working 16 hours a day, they're putting their health and safety at risk for the people that they serve. They are looking for new resources. They are finding, you know, whatever they need to find. They are talking to each other and supporting each other. And, you know, we can all take inspiration from the fact that Connecticut's nonprofit community is absolutely on the job in this crisis. I don't see anybody wringing their hands and saying, oh, things are too tough and we think we're going to fold up. Uh, it hasn't been easy. 
some folks have had to reduce programs and really kind of look at, you know, what's the mission right now that we have to focus on. Some of them have had to lay off staff and terminate programs, but I don't see a single one of them that I know that has said, all right, you know, we just can't do it. We're going to close down. Um, I, I just don't see that happening. You know, they just seem to do more with less and they'll tell you we can't do this forever, but somehow they manage to do it long enough. And exactly. This is the great part of my job that I get to work with people like this who just will not quit because the exactly. people they're seeing in front of them need their help and by golly, they're gonna get it. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sue Murphy from the Liberty Bank Foundation, we're actually about to run out of time. So I wanna thank you for coming down and hopefully we'll see you again soon. I would love to see you again soon, Pete. It's always a pleasure absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Sue. On behalf of Sue Murphy, I'm Pete Mazzetti. Thanks, good night, and we'll see you next time.